Redbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Are you looking to serve God and society? Consider putting your gifts to work as a lawyer. Ave Maria School of Law has been educating faith-filled lawyers for over 20 years. Ave Maria School of Law is committed to training lawyers to use law appropriately around the moral issues of our time. Visit AveMariaLaw.edu to learn more about integrating your faith with a law degree. Looking for a way to build daily prayer discipline? Seen the rise in mindfulness meditation, but not sure if it is possible to meditate in a way that's consistent with your Catholic faith? Just looking for a way to breathe new life into your existing prayer routine? No matter what you're looking for, Hollow is here to help. Hollow is a Catholic prayer and meditation app that helps users deepen their relationship with God through audio-guided contemplative prayer sessions. From meditations on the daily gospel to the rosary to daily examines, Hollow has something for everyone. Hollow is the number one Catholic app in the U.S. It is free to download and has permanently free content, but you can also check out all of the premium sessions for 30 days, risk-free, by signing up at www.hollow.app slash breadbox. O Lord my God, Thou searchest me, my heart and mind are known to Thee. Nothing is hidden from Thy eyes, when I sit down and you to our perseverance. Family this morning, and as always, let's start with Mary. Let's start to the Blessed Mother. This is a very merry season. We're getting ready for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, Our Lady Guadalupe, and the birth of Christ, so Mary is a very prominent person in this time. So let's start by saying the prayer that Mary loves. We also invoke Mary as our life, our sweetness, and our hope. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou, my women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Let's also invite our spiritual director or guide to be with you, and that's the Holy Spirit. He's known as the Consoler, the Counselor, known also as the Paraclete. He's known as the Interior Master. Holy Spirit is the gift of God's. Let's beg for this gift to give us a lot of light, a lot of joy, and that divine love that burned in the heart of Mary as well as the saints. So let's lift up our minds, our hearts, and our souls and beg the Holy Spirit to be with us, to guide us into the truth. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Melt me, mold me, fill me, use me. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me, now in us. 
Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Fall afresh on us. Fall afresh on us. Oh, let it go a little bit. Saint Joseph. Father Bunland Terry. Saint Ignatius. Saint Michael. Saint Raphael. Saint Gabriel. All God's angels and saints. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we've got a uh, full agenda this morning, don't we? Yes, we do. We've got a lot to cover. And so we're going to start off with, um, I think, a question just on the liturgical season in which we, we find ourselves. What's, what's the first question, Mary? Father, a word or two on this wonderful season of Advent. Yes. Years ago, Pope Ben XVI came to visit the United States. And um, he was talking to future priests, seminarians. And this is what he said, that one of the biggest struggles for us today to enter into contact with God is the fact that we are bombarded by so much noise. You might even call it uh, noise pollution. Pope Paul VI, in one of his writings, uh, calls it the cacophony of strident protests, right? Yes. <laughs> I think we're bombarded by a cacophony. You like that word? Yes, I cacophony do. Cacophony of strident protests. So uh, one suggestion I'd like to make is uh, maybe strive to practice more silence. Practice more silence when it's possible. You can't always practice it because sometimes you have to be um, talking to your colleagues or talking to your husband or your wife or your children. But there's times in which we could opt for silence because in silence God speaks to us. Remember, remember Elijah who uh, walked 40 days and 40 nights and he arrived at the holy mountain. He did not find God in the earthquake, or the thunder, or the lightning, but he encountered God in the gentle breeze. So for us to encounter God, we have to have in our lives some moments of silence. That's why we encourage all of you to find that hour every day in which you can be in silence with God and to listen to God to speak to your heart. What do you think? Good idea? Great idea. Okay, so what's uh, what's next on the agenda? The novena. Could you explain the concept of what a novena is? Sure. Novena, the word means nine. And just yesterday, we started the novena in preparation for the feast day of Our Lady Guadalupe. 
and we said a novena prayer. Today we'll say a spontaneous novena prayer to Our Lady Guadalupe. And um, reading in the Diary of St. Faustina, which I really love that text, uh, Jesus uh, encourages her to make novenas, especially in honor of the Blessed Mother, especially in honor of the Immaculate Conception as well as the Assumption of Mary. Now, novena means nine, and it could be doing many things, but nine consecutive days. You know, what she did was she prayed for nine straight days, a thousand Hail Marys. Wow. Wow. So we could pray at least a rosary, couldn't we? She could pray a thousand Hail Marys, we can get a rosary in. Maybe even two. Yes, maybe even three. Yes, maybe even four, right? Yes, <laughs> so the more the better. And this is it's a sign of our love for the Blessed Mother. And also, you know Navina, Divine Navina, or Navina in Spanish. It uh, helps us to discipline ourselves because we're doing something day after day for nine days. You know? Maybe something small. You may not be able to do the thousand Hail Marys. Say, for example, you, you're not in the habit of praying the rose, you do that for nine days. You're already forming a, uh, a habit. And a good habit is a virtue, and a bad habit is a vice. We don't want to be vicious people, do we? We like to be virtuous people. So virtuous people are those who practice virtue. And virtues are established by repeating the same good action. So parents really have to train their children to be virtuous, to get in the habit of, of, of praying at certain times, certain places, receiving the sacraments at certain times and places, forming good habits in children is one of the most important obligations of parents. Would you believe that? Very important, right? Not, not to say it's easy, but it's... Uh, and we as priests, we try to get our, our people to form the good habit of going to confession, going to daily mass, saying their rosary, doing spiritual reading, making their holy hour, so uh, doing their daily examine, because the church is a family, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So that's my uh, brief reflection on Navina. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on. We have a lot to cover today, don't we? Yes, Father. Today is the first Friday of the month of December. A word on this? Yes, it's easy for us to pass over the Good Friday, the first Friday, rather, on um, the month of December because there's so many things going on. But uh, the first Friday of the month is dedicated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus that we have enthroned in our, in our room here. It's uh, a day in which Jesus said to St. Margaret Mariella Cook back in the... Uh, 1600s. He appeared to her with his heart outside his body. He said, Behold the heart that loves so much and has received only indifference and, and ingratitude. Console my heart. And he asked her, among many things, to uh, make a holy hour Thursday from 11 o'clock to midnight. We can't always do that. To accompany Jesus in the garden. Also, to honor the, the image of the Sacred Heart. 
But also he said to make the five first Fridays. Five first Fridays would be to go to Mass five first Fridays consecutively and to receive Holy Communion. But the purpose of the Communion would be also to uh, offer up reparation. Reparation for the many sins against the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. A Communion of Reparation. You know, Holy Communion that we receive is the, is the greatest act we can do on this side of eternity, to receive the Eucharist. But the better the preparation, the more fervent the communion, the more graces. So never go up to Mass without offering some intention when you receive Holy Communion. But the first Friday, to offer reparation. And if you like, this is a Catholic, a universal type of reparation. Offer up reparation for the sins of the world. Offer up reparation for the sins of our country. Offer up reparation for the sins of the church. Offer up reparation for the sins of the domestic church, which is the family. Offer up reparation for the sins of our children. Offer up reparation for the sins of our, the people in our parish. And offer up uh, prayer reparation for our own personal sins. Reparation is not a prayer that comes natural to us. But one last idea in reparation. If I, if I break something that you've given to me, say for example you lend me, um, maybe you, you lend me a, um, um, uh, a glass no? uh, that you maybe got in Italy. And, uh, and it slips out of my arm and I break it. No? I should try to repair it, starting by apologizing and then, uh, if possible, to repair by giving you the same glass. If, it, if you got in Italy, I might not be able to go there, but maybe it can go to, maybe it can go to 99 cents, right? <laughs> I've heard that there are 98 cents too, right? <laughs> maybe go to some more luxurious place and get you a nice glass. So I have a, an obligation in justice to repair for having damaged what you, when you lent to me. Or if I verbally I have hurt you by some word, I should make reparation by apologizing. No? Yes. So reparation we understand in the human sense, but sin, it demands injustice that we make some type of reparation to the Lord. Understand? Yes. So that's the, uh, the little comment on the first Friday of the month. There's a lot to cover today, so I want to go through these various uh, items. And, we'll, of course, we'll arrive at the, at the Word of God. But also, I like to, um, you know, I like to talk about the saints. Yesterday, we celebrated St. Francis Xavier, didn't we? Yes, Father. A great saint. Uh, he's a patron of missionaries with St. Therese. How can you how can you possibly read his life without um, the, the fire of God arriving? He's so so fervent in his love for God for souls. You know he did it all. You know when he left uh, for India he was 35, and he died when he was 46. So it was all done in between 10 and 11 years. 
He did so much, didn't he? He did so much. I don't know if I said this yesterday because there's so much to cover. However, this should be said. His apostolic zeal, preaching and teaching and catechizing, setting up catechetical centers and going from India to Indonesia to Malaysia to Japan, and finally on the shore of um, about seven or eight miles away from mainland China, this fire that burned within him came from a great prayer life. So what he would do at night, after having preached and baptized so much, he baptized so much he couldn't lift up his arm anymore. Therefore, his uh, body is in Goa and his arm is, uh, where was his arm? The Church of Jesu in Rome, right? So he's got his arm. How would you like that? You, you died, you have your, bo your body here, your arm in Mexico. Would you like that? <laughs> we, because the, the, the Jesuits love him so much, seen as the co-founder, they want at least part of his body. But the, in, the Indian people from Goa, they want the rest of his body. You know? yeah, we have to learn how to share, right? <laughs> but getting back to the point, he, um, at the end of the day, he spent time in front of the chapel in his little hut there, he had the and he would spend many hours in front of the Blessed Sacrament, adoring the Eucharist, adoring the Eucharist. And he would, uh, he would be there in front of the Blessed Sacrament to fall asleep. And he got up and he'd continue his holy hours. So that, that, that fire for the love for souls came as a result of his love for God. That's why we say with respect to our holy hour, first come, then go, right? Yes. First come, we fill ourselves with God, then we can give God to others. That has to be the dynamic. If uh, you don't first come, then when you go, what are you going to give? It's a lot of hot air, right? <laughs> <laughs> Who wants hot air, no? So, uh, Francis Xavier, what a, what a great saint. Yeah, what a great saint. So, today, uh, what's the next thing in the item, Mary? What's, who's the saint for today, Father? Your questions are superb. I really like them. The saint we celebrate today, his name is Saint John Damascus or St. John of Damascene. St. John of Damascus because he was brought up and raised in, in Damascus, in Syria. And he was uh, born around 1676. His father was a Christian, and he, his father worked in a, in, in a, in a Muslim um, in the Muslim government, a very high position. John was was educated very well by a, a man named Cosmas. It wasn't St. Cosmas and Damien, but a very good uh, classical education, kind of like, tutor, like tutored in Greek and um, the classics and the Bible. So he had a really good education. But when the... Um, 
when the, when the Muslims started to, to persecute the, the Christians, uh, he just didn't feel love. He, he, he didn't want to do that because he's a Christian. So he pulled out and entered into the monastery of St. Sabas, S-A-B-A-S, uh, and um, he became a monk and he became a priest. Now he spent a lot of time in the monastery, lived a, uh, a very contemplative life. But um, you might say that th three great contributions, and I like to expound upon them. The first is that he fought against uh, what is called the iconoclastic heresy. Probably say, what the heck is that? Well, I'll explain it, okay? Then um, he also was uh, a great poet, writer, and mystic. And he wrote some of the most beautiful hymns, poems, the Blessed Mother. The third was that uh, he was a scholar, uh, even though he lived uh, he lived in the 600s, he was he was made a doctor of the church in 1800s by Pope Leo the uh, 13th, so it took 1200 years for him to declare the doctor. We've got to be patient, right? <laughs> Don't rush things. No? And uh, so the third would, would be that he, um, he was able to synthesize the Greek fathers. So I'd like to talk about those three different contributions. Could I? Yes, please. Okay. So the first thing he did was this. Now, a lot of our Facebook family are saying, what the heck is this idea, the, the kind, uh, iconoclastic heresy? When I explain it, I think you're going to see how applicable that is for us today. And now there was a um, there was an emperor whose name was Leo the Third. He was not Saint Leo the Great by any stretch of the imagination. Huh? Okay. His last name is Isaurus, who um, he wanted to intervene within the church. He was transgressing his domain. He shouldn't have entered in the church to try to change doctrine. I'll leave that to the Pope and the bishops and the priests. And he was infected by what's called the iconoclastic heresy. And it's this. They believed, erroneously, that we should not have images. We should not have images. Because if we have images, then we're going against the first commandment. And the first commandment is to love God above all things. And the Old Testament says we should not have any carved images. We should not have idolatry. So there was a movement back in the 600s to get the images, and among the most beautiful images, they're called icons. Yeah, but Father Dave is a painter and he paints icons. 
And when, when, when artists paint icons in the religious sense, it's like a prayer. Okay? They actually say they're writing it, but it's, it's painted by that. They're writing these beautiful treatises on, on God, the angels, and the saints by making these icons. So there was a movement just to break these, these icons and to trash them. Might be a stained glass window, might be a statue, might be a painting, it might be a, a, a Greek, a, a Greek uh, icon. So in other words, a moment to destroy it. So he wrote, he wrote uh, very uh, powerfully against this heresy. So, and he explains, I'll explain the essence of what he's saying and um, I'll tell you what happened to him. He went through great suffering, but the Blessed Mother intervened to save him. This is the way he explained it. And I invite all of you to try to learn this argument. A little bit of apologetics is good for us. The iconoclasts, they maintain that by having these images, we're actually adoring these images. And if we're adoring these images, we're practicing idolatry. If that were the case, if we were adoring images, really that would be a type of idolatry. What he says is we're not adoring them, but we are venerating what they represent. That's his explanation, in just a few words. Okay? Yes. So we're not adoring, but rather we're, we're, we're venerating what it represents. Okay, three of the most famous images today would be Our Lady Guadalupe, right? Another would be the Sacred Heart of Jesus. And how about Divine Mercy? Okay, those are three images. They're very prominent. What would happen if uh, the government said to the Mexicans, okay, you're no longer going to be going in front of Our Lady Guadalupe. We're just going to put it in a big closet and that's it. No longer. Do you think the Mexican people would be happy? Happy campers? No, there would be probably a rebellion, right? I remember years ago, maybe about 20 years ago, there was actually a rector there in the, in the, in the sanctuary that was saying that it was, it was just concocted, it was false, it was a myth, and boy, all hell broke loose. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hell broke loose. So what does the image of Our Lady uh, Guadalupe, what, what does it mean? It, mean? it means Mary's motherly, tender love for us. So seeing it, that's what it means. That Mary is the mother of God, the mother of church, but she's our mother. Okay, then if we look at the Sacred Heart. We look at the Sacred Heart image, the heart outside of Jesus, surrounded by thorns and circled by fire. What does the heart symbolize in poetry? Love. So it's a symbol of God's love for us. How about divine mercy? The heart is within. It's symbolic of Christ's infinite mercy for us. That even though we are sinners, the mercy of God 
goes beyond our own misery. Romans chapter 5, right? Yes. Where sin abounds, the mercy of God abounds all the more. So those are three of the most prominent images. Now, if these images were present at the time of this uh, Leo III, he would, have, he would have broken those three images. Saying, yeah, you're practicing idolatry. So we have to learn how to defend. And one of the arguments I think that's, that you've used before is uh, if we were to uh, destroy, we go to your house, we see an image of your mother or your father, you know? Uh-oh, get that image of mom and dad and grandpa and throw that in the trash. You are practicing idolatry. Or Jehovah Witnesses got, uh, pull out, ah, that's your, that's your mother who's in Mexico. You got to get rid of it. No, no, that's my mom. Wow, you're practicing idolatry. So I think we have to learn the art of defending our faith. What do you think? Yes, sir. So St. John Damascene was an expert in, in defending the images. You know what happened to him? This Leo guy was infuriated that he, John Damascene, was defending the images. He sent someone to John Damascene and he, he sawed off his hand. Do you know that? No. Yeah. His hand was sawed off. He prayed and the Blessed Mother reattached it. Amen? <laughs> like that? <laughs> Not bad, huh? Beautiful. So the Blessed Mother intervened to reattach his sawed-off hand so that he could write this beautiful, these beautiful poems and hymns in honor of the Blessed Mother. So that's the first the first thing is his defense of the icons, the images. The second, as a result of his hand being restored, that he was able to write these beautiful treatises, poems, on to God, but also to the Blessed Mother. Okay, the last thing that he's famous for, his claim to fame would be this. He is, uh, he's an Eastern uh, father of the church. You know, there's the Eastern Fathers and the Western Father called Patristics. Do you know the, do you know the Western Fathers? It would be Augustine and Ambrose and Jerome and St. Gregory the Great. How about the Eastern? St. John Chrysostom, St. John Damascene, St. Basil, St. Gregory Nazianzen, St. Gregory of Nyssa, St. Athanasius, those are the, they're, they're Catholic, but, but different rites. Now, he's considered, he's considered the Thomas Aquinas of the Eastern Church. What a compliment. What a compliment, yes. Yeah. What a compliment. By this is meant, now, Thomas Aquinas is going to be coming coming along about uh, 600 years later. So he's way before Thomas Aquinas. His, his gift, his talent, was pulling together the, the knowledge that had been accumulated up to the 
six hundreds and he's able to synthesize it. Now what did Thomas Aquinas do? You've probably heard of the Summa Theologica. I hope you have, no? Summa Theologica is one of the most famous, maybe the most famous theological treatise in the Catholic Church. Thomas Aquinas was able to synthesize all the thoughts of the fathers, the doctors, up until when he lived. So St. John Damascene did the same thing in the 600s. So what do you think? Great saint. Great saint. He's Real important, isn't he? Saint. Yeah. Important saint, yes. Okay, last but not least, as we say, the last but not least, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which we're reading, it's divided into four parts. We are plowing through this first part of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which explains the creed, and we'll enter into the sacraments and the moral part, and then on prayer. Guess who the Catechism of the Catholic Church quotes at the beginning of the fourth part defining prayer. Let me guess. Today's saint, St. John Damascene. You got it. You know what he says? I'll tell you. He defines prayer as this. Prayer is the lifting up of the mind and the heart to God. Okay, I repeat. Prayer is the lifting up of the mind and the heart to God. Do you like that? Yes. That's what prayer is. It's the lifting up of the mind and the heart to God. So during our holy hour, we're lifting up our mind to God. We're lifting up our heart to God. We're praising God. And then St. Augustine says, make sure that, you, that you, you're praising God, not simply with your lip, but also with your life, right? Your life should not be contradicting what you're professing with your lips. So St. John Damascene, he's a saint that's maybe not known too much in the West, but he's important. Yes, very And important. I think we have to give him credit, shouldn't we? All right, you know what I'd like to do now is, uh, if you could read the Catechism, there are two numbers. There are two numbers in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Uh, one is relatively short, 184, and then we start 185. And what you have in the Catechism, I might even show it to you, is we're finishing these three full points. Then after that, the, the Catechism, we're not going to read this, has two pages on the creeds. There's the Apostles' Creed, then there's the Nicene Creed. And when you pray the Rosary, you just say the Apostles' Creed. The Nicene Creed from the Council of Nicaea is, uh, is longer. So we're not going to be reading that because it's long, but we'll read 180, 184, which we didn't read yesterday, and then we'll, we'll jump into 185. Can we do that, Mary? Yes, Father. Okay, 184. 184. Faith is a foretaste of the knowledge that will make us blessed in the life to come. Okay, a, a word on that. It's a foretaste. It's a foretaste of heaven. Okay? It's a foretaste of heaven. So when we have faith, even in the midst of trials, we know that at the end of our life, 
we've loved God, we've believed in God, we love God, that heaven is waiting for us. Okay, so we're going to be jumping now to 185, and it's, uh, it's a new section, isn't it? What's, this, what's the new section? Section 2, the profession of the Christian faith, the creeds. In number 185. 185. Whoever says, I believe, says, I pledge myself to what we believe. Communion in faith needs a common language of faith, normative for all and uniting all in the same confession of faith. So, we're entering a new part in which the church is explaining to us a very succinct, a very concise way to know our faith is by getting to know the creeds. There are various creeds. There's the Apostles' Creed. There's the Creed of St. Athanasius. There's the Nicene Creed. Uh, and every time we go to Mass on Sunday, we, we, we pray one of the creeds. And when we start the rosary, sometimes we jump into the rosary without the first part, but classically you start praying the rosary with the Apostles' Creed. Apostles' Creed has said that there are 12 articles, and each one of the Apostles had one of those articles which, which was specific to, uh, to him. So over the next few days now, we're going to be going through the different creeds, and then we're going deeper and deeper into learning our faith. Beautiful, isn't it? Yes, Father. Okay, um, what I'd like to do, Mary, now is um, I'd like to ask you, if you could um, jump into the gospel reading, okay? And if we do have time, we'll go back to the first reading. But uh, I want you to read the gospel reading. And the first reading and the gospel reading have something in common. Uh, the use of our eyes, the lack of sight, and the restoration of sight. So there's a lot in it. I'd like you to read the gospel passage and then um, we can maybe jump back to the first reading this is the gospel a reading from the holy gospel according to saint matthew glory to you o lord as jesus passed by two blind men followed him crying out son of david have pity on us when he entered the house the blind men approached him and jesus said to them do you believe that i can do this yes lord they said to him then he touched their eyes and said let it be done for you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened. Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But they went out and spread word of him through all that land. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. So, um, let's try to picture the scene. Uh, these two men who are deprived of sight hear that Jesus is in town and they believe that Jesus Christ can heal them of this great suffering. And they approach him and they, they do beg the Lord to heal him. And the Lord questioned them, do they believe? They say, yes, and their sight is restored. And the Lord tells them not, 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 not to 
pronounce this far and wide, otherwise you won't be able to enter into the towns, but they don't obey. <laughs> they're so happy about having their sight that they're blurting it out right and left. So let's, um, let's reflect a little bit on the whole idea of sight. What would happen? Try to imagine you get up tomorrow and the whole day you can't see anything. Or, 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 or the whole day you have a blindfold on. Blind man's bluff, huh? The whole day your eyes are covered with, with a sheet. I think we take for granted the eyes that we have. I think we take for granted. How many things do we see during the course of the day we should just praise and thank God? Without the use of our eyes, all these glories of God's creation would not be present to us. Just mention a few. The sunrise in the morning. We want to glorify God for that. The sun set as the sun goes down. We want to praise God for that. The different colors that we can see with our eyes. We praise God for that. One of my uncles, my mom's older brother, passed away about a year ago. My uncle Jack said, God could have created the world in black and white, right? Yes. He could have created the world black and white, but he decided to create the world with various colors. The beauty of a rainbow after a downpour of rain. Without your eyes, you're not going to be able to see that. How about you go and you're taking a nature walk and you see the, the meadows decked with different flowers? You're not going to be able to appreciate that without your eyes. How about this? Reading the Word of God. Reading the lives of the saints. Reading something that's going to enrich our mind. That comes into us through our sight. How appreciative we should be for the fact that we have sight. So I think we should thank God for the fact that we have these eyes that are able to contemplate the beauty of God. But we should use our eyes to contemplate the beauty of God too, shouldn't we? Yes. Now, blindness. During my meditation this morning, I was thinking about blindness is not, it's not simply a physical phenomena, but also blindness could be a spiritual phenomena. Let me tell you a story. When I was about maybe 11 or 12 years old, <clears throat> I was heading into the city of New York. I lived in New Jersey, and I was, the first time I was going 
uh, to New York City without my father. So I was going with my older brother, two of my friends. So we had to take a, uh, a train to New York and then we had to take a subway into, into, the, into the Bronx. So I was sitting there in the subway and um, next to my brother and my two friends were with him. We were happy to be able to see a Yankee game. So what happened was I heard some noise of someone that was dragging something in the subway. And um, the noise got louder and louder. <coughs> and what it was, it was a blind man. And this blind man, he was... Uh, walking with a cane. Probably seen the blind men. The blind blind men often they'll have like uh, they'll have like a German shepherd dog to help them, right? Mm -hmm. They're trained. Mm -hmm. Or they've got uh, a cane mm -hmm. in which they can walk and they can feel whether or not there's a curb or there's an incline or a decline. And uh, he was walking very slowly. You know, I was sitting right next to the passage from one of the the cars and the train cars to the other. Mm -hmm. He wanted to pass from one train to the other. And when he arrived at that passage, he stopped. Because he recognized he couldn't do it without some type of assistance. Can I tell you what happened? Mm -hmm. Painful. That I was sitting right next to him I was already an altar boy. I, I was maybe maybe I was thirteen, and I was kind of being nudged. Hey, this was before social distancing. Mm -hmm. I was being nudged, get up and help the poor guy. But I was paralyzed. Paralyzed because of my own comfort. I didn't want to get in my comfort zone. I didn't want people to see seeing me walking this guy across. What happened was this. One of my best friends, Lauren Mel, okay, who was a Protestant, he got up and he accompanied this man, blind man, from one car to the other. In that moment, in that subway in New York City, there was not one blind person, but there was two. And that blind person was yours truly, Padre Escobita. And to this day, uh, to this day, it... Um, it pains me to say that, but I can't deny the fact that uh, I was negligent. And I was a Catholic, and the Protestant boy got up to help him out. No? They don't even believe in the importance of good works, do they? <laughs> <laughs> we do, right? Right. So hopefully that blind man will 
will forgive me and he'll, he'll have mercy on me because I was blind. I was blind. I, I was not, my blind was, was that I was not able to see Jesus present in other people. And that's part of our challenge as we go deeper in our faith. You make your holy hour, you listen to our conversation. Then you have to beg for the grace to be aware of God's presence in circumstances, in places, in events, and in, uh, in, people, in the people that we meet. Okay, I'd like to tell you another story. With your permission. Yes, please. When I was a child, we used to, um, this was before the, um, the internet and even when television wasn't so prominent. Children back in the 60s or the 50s, the 60s, my opinion now, tended to be much more creative. Why? Because if you're simply always looking at a TV screen, uh, and you're looking at it now, which is good, no? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, can, it can stunt your creativity. So we as kids, after school, we were very creative in, um, in, 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 in the games we would play. We'd play Kick the Can and Scully and... Uh, Japanese tag. New Yorkers, I think, tend to be very creative. No, One was, we created this game, it's called Blind Man. And it was this. That you had to allow your friend to lead you by the hand. But you had to be blindfolded. You had to have a blindfold over your eyes and you had to allow your friend to, to lead you from one place to another. So this is what happened. I was the blind man, even though I, I was, I, I think I was about 11 years old. This, was, this happened before the other incident. And my, front, my friend Tommy Carney, who was a year younger than me, and he was a Catholic. We went to St. Anthony's Catholic School there in Nanuet. He was leading me by the hand. And we were walking up, walking um, up a hill, and uh, he was walking, walking me. He said, "Step, step, step." Then he, he, yeah, he said, "Step really fast now." And he, he, he um, told me to step very quickly, and he ran me into a tree. He ran me, then they opened up my eyes, and I saw he was running like a bat out of hell because he knew that I was going to kill him. <laughs> Kids can be pretty mean at times, right? Usually I was faster than him, but he had so much adrenaline in his body that he scampered like a rabbit trying to save his hide. Now, I think you kind of laugh at that. But I purposely tell that story because the two stories um, in my life that are related to the gospel and they illustrate 
two, two ideas that are related. The first, in the subway, I was too blind to recognize that that blind man that was walking with the cane was Jesus Christ. The only thing that really mattered to me was to arrive at Yankee Stadium and see the Yankees beat whoever they were going to be playing. I could care, I could care less. But I was blind to the fact that there was a blind man in front of me that couldn't cross from one car to the other without someone accompanying him. Now, have you ever been blind to people? I'm not the only one. I think that all of us suffer suffer from, if not physical blindness, we suffer from spiritual and moral blindness. What do you think? Yes, Father. We don't want to admit it, but I think we're all blind at times. Yes, Father. We can be blind. And in Spanish, there's a, there's a one line. I like Proverbs, don't you? Yes. It goes like this. No en peor ciego que aquel que no quiere ver. No en peor sordo que aquel que no quiere oír. Translate. Yes. There's no worse blind person than the blind person that doesn't want to see. There's no worse deaf person. Did you hear me? Yes. No, no, okay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no worse deaf person than the person that doesn't want to hear. Did you hear me? Okay, yes. good. I'm glad you did. Okay. How many people in the world are blind and deaf and they don't admit that they're blind and deaf? I'll give you, okay, I'll give you a classical example. Probably some of you know, it could be your husband. Or maybe it was your father. Or maybe it's your brother that we are in the holiday season now, right? From Thanksgiving until the middle of January, those six weeks is called the holiday season. Which is interesting because holiday really means holy day. <laughs> Sometimes it's everything except that, right? Yeah. From Thanksgiving up until the middle of January, it's a time in which we're celebrating Thanksgiving and then we got certain Marian feast days like Our Lady Guadalupe, and then we got Christmas Eve, and then we got Christmas, and then we got New Year's, and then we got um, the Epiphany, a lot, of, uh, a lot of celebrations. But it's a time also where there are most accidents on the, on the road. Possibly less now because of the pandemic. Even in the pandemic, and now, it could be a blessing in disguise in many ways. No? Mm -hmm because people tend to drink. Yes. You know, drinking and driving, they don't mix. Yeah. And how many people suffer from alcoholism? They are alcoholics and they say, mine have a problem. We're in the holiday season, we're supposed to be happy, right? Yes. God wants us to be happy, right? <laughs> called the gospel of happiness, right? Yes, yes. God wants us to be happy. But they do not admit that they have a, pro a serious problem that they have to address and they have to take steps to overcome that problem. Many people. If you go to the, if you go to the doctor 
and you've been experiencing maybe stomach cramps. And you're sitting in front of your doctor, and the doctor says, well, how are things going? And you say, um, well, you know, I have an itch over my right eyebrow. You never tell them that what's been bothering you the past few weeks is that you've had stomach pains. There's no way that he's going to remedy your stomach pain if you just say you've got a, an itch over your right eyebrow, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so part of our being healed of our blindness is that we have to recognize that we all have moments of spiritual and moral blindness. We all have it. That humble admission of our blindness is, is half the battle. Like these blind men that Jesus met, they didn't cry out to the Lord and say, I, I have no problem, I can, I can see it very clearly. They, were, they, they really wanted to see, didn't they? Yes. And they cried out. And when Jesus uh, meets them, he says, well, what do you want? Well, we want to see. Do you believe that I can give you sight? I believe. And they were healed. And they, were, they glorified God that they were, able to, they were able to see with their eyes because Christ, who is the light of the world, gave them their sight. So that's interpretation of, uh, of the subway incident. Now what about the other one? The other incident in which me and my friend were playing the blind guy. My little friend thought it was pretty funny the fact that he's leading me by the hand and telling me to take a step, another step, another step, a little bit faster, another step, hurry up, now rush in, and all of a sudden, he, he, he rushes me right into this oak tree. I didn't like that at all. He thought it was pretty funny. And he ran for the hills. I wonder how many times have we been the Tommy Carney? How many times have we maybe maybe led people into places that we should not have led them? You know, it's a good examination kind, isn't it? Very good. How often maybe have have parents I'll give like three examples? Yes. How many times have parents allowed their children to be in a, a party setting? Mm-hmm where there was a lot of drinking, a lot of bad language, a lot of immodest dress. Do you think that happens at times? Yes, it does. How many times have parents, maybe because of the pandemic or before maybe a Sunday afternoon, you're sitting with your children watching a, a movie or TV program that has immoral scenes and you just allow your kids to see it scenes of immorality it's probably more common than we're aware of in other words we are allowing our children to become more and more spiritually blind becoming accustomed desensitized to what is 
not pleasing to God. And the third might be this. How often has it been we as adults, we lose our patience and we blurt out some word or expression that is that's vulgar. It happens. So I think that this biblical passage lends itself to a lot of reflection. I think it lends itself to an examination of conscience. So Jesus is the light of the world. He's the light of the world. But he also said, he's the light of the world. He said, you are the light of the world. So let's ask Jesus to heal us of our blindness. So what we're going to do for Navina now is uh, we're just going to say a prayer to Mary and we'll say the Hail Holy Queen. So uh, the Navina is praying nine days in a row to the Blessed Virgin Mary. We'll say the Hail Holy Queen in preparation for the feast day of Our Lady Guadalupe. Let's ask Mary to give us a lot of light. To recognize we do have these uh, these blind spots in our life. Okay? Yes. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy, our life, first sweetness in our hope. To thee do we cry for banished children of Eve. Send it by our sighs, mourning, weeping, velvet, tears. Turn in most gracious advocate, and rise of mercy towards us. And after this erection, show unto us the blessed food of Jesus. Clement, loving, sweet virgin, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God. The Lord be with you. Through the intercession of St. John Damascene, St. Francis Xavier, and Mary, the Lady of the may God bless you with the light of light so that you will be a light to many other people. Upon thee thou hast laid thy hand, O Lord, how could I? Finding someone on an online Catholic dating site shouldn't be like shopping for a blender. So why do most dating sites leave you feeling like you're shopping for a spouse? At Catholic Singles, we connect members through our unique user polls and activities, which help you discover other members and their personalities and interests. Because you're a person, not a profile picture. So stop shopping and start discerning. Trust your love story to the original Catholic dating site and use the promo code BREADBOX at checkout for 20% off at catholicsingles.com.